So when Indians think of Christianity, they associate it with modernity, technology, innovation, because you see a lot of missionaries come from America and bring that aura with them. And so many Indians think that they should associate with Christianity, should convert to Christianity, or should at any rate imitate Christianity and borrow Christian ideas, because this makes them modern. And that non-Christianity and opposition to Christianity and even criticism of Christianity is backwards, is obscurantist. Now in the West they think very differently. Um, On the one hand, of course, Christianity is associated with uh, art. A lot of paintings and cathedral buildings and music pieces are about Christian themes. Most of them. So, you know, there are very beautiful uh, pieces of music uh, that are about Christian themes and about which one famous uh, secularist in my country, in Belgium, said, how beautiful, what a pity that it isn't true. So you have the whole life story of Jesus set to music or painted about and so on. And that can charm people into believing Christianity. But in fact, there is no relation between the beauty that an artist can produce and the truth of the theme about which the art is. So we venture to ask the question, is Christianity true? And you see, that's a logical question to ask because Christianity itself claims that it is the true religion. When Christianity came about 2,000 years ago, religion was not associated with truth. You see, most people don't care about truth. They will say things that sound good, you know, that that make them fall in with uh, their circle, you know, the circle that they want to belong to. And, you know, whether it is true or not, they don't much care. And particularly in religion, you see, you are devoted to a God. And so devotion is not to be evaluated in terms of truth. the, The category truth or untruth doesn't apply. But Christianity came on stage and claimed it was the true religion. So it is very normal that we ask, well, is it? So, let us first be clear about what Christianity is. Now, in this uh, short uh, time, uh, I will only briefly outline it. But what you need to know about it is this. First of all, It is the answer to a problem. The problem is hereditary sin. You see, Adam and Eve were created perfect, but then they committed sin and they fell from grace. And with sin was associated mortality. First they were immortal, and then they became mortal. Now, animals who don't commit sin as we know, are also mortal. And 
There is no indication that there ever was a time when man was immortal. So that already is a very questionable assumption. Anyway, it is of course true that human beings and and life on earth are very imperfect. So in that sense, you know, it's it's a sign of modesty that you can think of the doctrine of hereditary sin. But still, ultimately, you know, it's, it's only part of the truth. But so far, so good. But then comes the answer. And the answer is Jesus. In the case of Christianity, at least, the answer is Jesus. Jesus was, um, on the one hand, a man like you and I. He was born. But he was also the incarnation of God. Now, to Hindus, this will sound very familiar. Incarnations are ten a penny. In fact, literally so. Vishnu is supposed to have ten incarnations. And so, you know, if Jesus is another incarnation, well, you're okay. But you see, that precisely is the whole difference. In Hinduism, it doesn't matter how many there are. But in Christianity, it's absolutely central that there is only one of them. It is Jesus. And you see Krishna and Rama and so on. Well, you see the deluded uh, heathens in their blindness may call them incarnations of God, but they are not. You are entertaining a false belief. Whereas the only true incarnation is Jesus. Now, what did Jesus do? You see, he um, died on the cross, which in the society in which he lived was an ignominious death given to criminals. But then he conquered death, he rose, he was resurrected. And this is fundamental, as St. Paul said, you know, if the resurrection didn't happen, then our faith is in vain. So that is absolutely central to Christianity. And remember, sin is associated with mortality, therefore the conquest of sin is associated with immortality. So Jesus conquers death. That means that the fundamental problem in Christianity really is death. Now, In Hinduism, that also is uh, questionable. In fact, uh, some people go as far as to say that this world is a veil of tears and we have to get away from it. You see, immortality is assured because we reincarnate all the time. If only we could get away from it. So here the problem is just the reverse. And as the Bhagavad Gita said, You know, dying is just like taking off your clothes when you go to bed. Tomorrow you put on new ones. Now, in Christianity, by contrast, death is the great problem. Death is what we want to get away from. And that's why progressive Christians in India adopt this uh, Hindu prayer, uh, lead me from death to immortality. They think that this is... uh, nice Hindu 
you know, way of formulating what is ultimately Christian truth. Now, if resurrection is so important, is so central, we should certainly like to know whether it really happened. And for that, you know, we, we only have testimony and even very questionable testimony. But according to the New Testament, it happened. Only 40 days later, Jesus was taken up to heaven. Or, no, 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 let me correct that. He rose to heaven. Later, the doctrine was formulated that his mother, Mary, was taken up to heaven. So there's a difference. Jesus rose to heaven himself because he was divine, whereas his mother was only a human being, so she was taken up to heaven. The assumption. Whereas in Jesus' case, Jesus ascended to heaven. He went to heaven himself. Anyway, that means that ultimately, he is in exactly the same situation as all people who have died. You see, people who haven't died have one thing in common. You can run into them. You see, the chances that you will run into the prime minister just walking down the street are very small. But still, you know, you could arrange for, you know, seeing him in person. Maybe at some public function or so, you see him in person, you know that he exists. Whereas dead people, well, they are not around anymore. You won't run into anyone who is dead. Or you won't run into Jesus. Because Jesus has ascended to heaven. Like everyone. So that that claim of the resurrection is, uh, you know, people who are eager to believe it, you can make them believe it. But if you look at it critically, it uh, doesn't really hold up. Nevertheless, in Christianity, Jesus is very central, and particularly the missionaries who go to far-off places, and particularly who come to India, um, they set great store by the person Jesus. And in the case of India, they soon learn in their training that they should emphasize it, because Hindus easily have a liking for charismatic persons. You know, there is this guru worship in India. Already it starts with your parents. You know, you touch their feet. And so you have a great veneration for important people. So in the case of uh, Christianity, well, if you want to preach Christianity to Hindus, you don't have to, you know, go into deep theology. You have to emphasize the concrete person. However... The difference between Hinduism and Christianity is that in Hinduism, the charismatic persons you meet, they may not be God's incarnation, but they are real, they are tangible. You know, you have gurus, more than one. You may have one personal guru, but I mean, there are there is a category of people who are supposed to be enlightened. You can run into them. You see, they are there. They live amidst you. Whereas Jesus, of course, well, you know, you can... Imagine a picture of Jesus. Um, you know, you have descriptions of his life, but ultimately you can never meet Jesus. 
And of course people say, oh yeah, but you know, I have met Jesus. You know, when I prayed, I, I had this experience of Jesus. Well, yeah, you could understand that, but it's the same as of all literary characters. You know, you can say, well, you know, I heard this childhood story about Little Red Riding Hood or about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves or about King Vikram and the Ghost. And, you know, that story really spoke to me. I feel inspired by it. Okay, well, in that sense, you see, Jesus is also inspiring and you can be touched by Jesus. It's a nice story. And if it's convincingly told by an experienced storyteller, it can really go to your heart. But then that's it. That's all. Whereas for Christians, for Christians that is not all at all. You know, that is, um, you know, Jesus is unique. And the rest are only stories, but Jesus is real. So let's look into this character, Jesus. You know, it starts with the stories of his birth and his childhood. And those, you know, even most Christian theologians agree, are only stories. You know, that he was born in a manger, and that the the three um, kings from the east came to visit him in his cradle, and all that. You know, we don't know. Like, you have the story, you know, when, when he was freshly born, that King Herod tried to kill him. So he had all the infants killed. But you see, the parents of Jesus had been warned in time and they had fled to Egypt to escape this mass killing. Now, that story is a well-known ancient story. Like you find it in the life of Krishna. You know, Krishna was also persecuted in infancy by King Kansa. And so it's a, it's a common story, you know. It's like... Moses was, was, um, was left in a little boat on the river. You know, that's a, a very common story. Um, so, you know, you have these common stories entered into the life of Jesus. You know, it's a literary embellishment. And in fact, that is the, the essence of my whole message. That the life of Jesus is literary embellishment. It's good literature. You know, sometimes, not not always, not consistently, but, you know, some episodes are really powerfully written and continue to inspire people. But, you know, then that's all. So, then he, um, he grows up. Now, many Indians think that he was, you know, educated in India and that later, after the resurrection... He didn't ascend to heaven, but he was spirited away to India. And there he lived till a ripe old age and died in Kashmir at age 115. Well, that's only a story. You see, and that's a modern story. It's a 19th century story. And in India it has had a lot of takers, but there is really no substance in it. You know, when you read the original report about it, you find that it is very 19th century. You know, it's all about social equality and anti-caste and so on. You know, th- these were not themes that occupied the ancient people. 
and so you know it's tailored to the needs of the time and in India in particular when they try to you know carry the message to uh, Dalit circles for instance they like to emphasize this element of social justice uh, like for instance I once heard a priest you know during the Christmas service and this was in Nagwa in Varanasi which is a heavily scheduled caste area you know he said um, you know Jesus was uh, in infancy kept among the uh, shepherds you know this is where the manger was you know this was a place where shepherds uh, went and so the shepherds they groomed you know they rose they they, they raised I'm sorry they raised the um, sheep that were slaughtered in the temple service but the priest said the shepherds themselves were not expected to go to the temple you know they were unclean and so you know that's the language that Dalits will easily understand you know so the Christian um, anti-Judaism you know Jesus was a Jew uh, is easily transferred to anti-Hinduism, anti-Brahminism. Anyway, you see, that's not what Jesus was about. Jesus was mainly about Jesus. You see, Jesus was a, um, a kind of wandering miracle healer. And, you know, in those days, this must have been a fairly popular type. Because, of course, medicine was not very advanced. So, if you were struck by a serious ailment, chances were that you would never recover. So, you would pin your hopes on anyone who promised to cure you. So, that's what really Jesus probably was in reality. And so, here I'm taking a secular approach to the person of Jesus, to his story. You know, it was a human story. And we like to know what humanly, you know, happened. And not so much what believers have made of it afterwards. So he was a miracle healer who believed in his own powers of healing. And gospel readers are also supposed to believe it. But the gospel itself contains enough elements that already betray the true story about Jesus' miracle healings. Namely, you know, he did what he could and what, you know, people expected of him. But often, you know, what he achieved was far less than cure. Like there is a story told in the Gospel of Jesus curing someone with epilepsy. So you see this person... uh, fell down and fell unconscious and so on, typical for an epileptic crisis. And then Jesus raised him, Jesus awoke him. But you see, every patient, you know, after a crisis, wakes up again. This <laughs> is not so abnormal. And then it is said in so many words that later the person had new, new crises, you know. So he wasn't healed at all. Uh, and then... You know, you also only have the story, you know. So it is possible that some bystanders were impressed 
you know, but that there was really no healing affected. Uh, and then like you have the story of somebody raised from the dead. You know, he, he, he was already smelling like a corpse. And then Jesus managed to revive him. Now, we don't know what the true story is, you know. But I mean, if, if that would be the fruit of uh, Christianity, then we would hear more about it. You know, and then Benny Hinn and other miracle preachers would come to India and revive some actual dead. And, you know, then everybody would become a Christian because that would be really impressive. But um, I don't think it happened. And here you can really, really be skeptical and not believe until you have seen. You see, if people claim to bring people back from the dead, well, let them do it. You know, while we can see it. So Jesus was um, essentially an exorcist. You know, he believed, as many people in his day did, that diseases are caused by spirits. You know, spirits take possession of a human being and thereby cause certain symptoms that we now ascribe to microbes or, you know, to some natural cause. When Pope Benedict uh, visited Angola, uh, which had been colonized by the Portuguese already 500 or so years before, and where the Catholic Church is a very strong presence, he said that he deplored it that very many Africans still believed in spirits in spite of evangelization. Now, the thing is that Jesus himself believed in spirits. You know, if you are a true Christian, of course you will believe in spirits. And in fact, every Catholic priest, you know, those in the service of that particular pope, of any pope, you see, they have as a, as a fixed part of their training the practice of exorcism. A priest is empowered to exorcise spirits. So, nothing abnormal there. But, you know, if you don't believe in spirits anymore, if you think that diseases have natural causes, well, then that's a reason to be skeptical of Christianity. And so in India, in some, you know, outlying parts, they call modern medicine Jesus medicine. Because the missionaries come there, you see, to attract people, they found hospitals where, you know, they bring in doctors from America and they practice modern medicine. And so, you know, the naive tribals in that area believe that Christianity is associated with modern medicine, whereas just the opposite is true. You see, Jesus didn't even practice whatever medicine was available in his day. You know, nowadays you have in India still Yunani Tib, uh, you know, which is really Greek medicine, Hellenistic medicine. So in the Eastern Mediterranean, you see, that was the herbal medicine mainly that was being practiced. And so, you know, it, it is sometimes effective, sometimes not. But at any rate, even that was not practiced by Jesus. So he, he really went back to the most primitive form of medicine, which is driving out spirits. Now, if he had only been a faith healer, well, you see, there are so many of them. And maybe they have done some good once in a while. You see, if that had been the case, then nobody would have heard of Jesus. 
even some of his preachings are not very remarkable. You see, the, the best part of his preaching is clearly borrowed, and you can see an influence from Buddhism in it. Like when he says that you should love your enemies. You know, the, the, those particular uh, phrases of Jesus that make him popular, that make him, you know, to Hindus, you see, he has this aura of being spiritual. You see, maybe Hindus are not Christians, but they still respect Jesus because they think Jesus was some kind of guru, you know, that, you know, maybe he was not divine, but he was an advanced human being, an enlightened human being who said some nice things. You know, apparently he was some kind of new ager, like you have nowadays, uh, you know, who was interested in spirituality. You know, somewhat like Osho, you know, like Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, you know, who was not an enlightened human being. In fact, at the end of his life, he said so himself, that he was not enlightened. But, you know, he was a good intellectual. He read many spiritual traditions. So he could quote Jalaluddin Rumi. He could quote Lao Tzu and so on. So, you see, Jesus, in a more primitive way, at a more primitive level, also picked up whatever spirituality was around. And so some of that is in his preachings. Or alternatively, maybe he didn't know about those things and the people who wrote down the gospel knew of these things and put them in his mouth. That is also possible. Because there, you know, our knowledge of what really happened is limited. It's not zero. You know, we can't say, for example, that Jesus never existed. You know, there's, you know, there is an element, you know, there is, uh, there must have been someone who, who was special enough to found the religion around. But you see many things that are attributed to him, well, were around, were in the air. You know, just like nowadays, you know, even among Hindus, you know, if people venerate gurus, you will hear them attribute all kinds of sayings to their own guru. And so, you see, that's clearly also what happened. Anyway, you see, those sayings may be spiritual, may be nice, may be uplifting, but, you know, there are more nice and uplifting sayings in other parts of the world by other people. You see, that's not so special. That's not what makes Jesus unique. But Jesus apparently had a very high opinion of himself. And this attracted attention. At some point he gets baptized by another preacher, namely John the Baptist. So, you know, he goes and, you know, take his ritual, you know, whatever he performs. He goes there and he gets baptized in the river. And um, when he gets baptized, he has a, what we would call a hallucination. And so he uh, sees this, this dove, this pigeon coming from heaven. And, you know, he hears a voice saying, this is my son. So he hears God speaking and addressing him as his son. Now, there are four Gospels. So this story is told several times. And you can see a progression. In the beginning, it is purely subjective. 
Jesus hears a voice. Nobody else hears it. But then later, a voice came from heaven. So everybody heard it. And then finally, Jesus is glorified. You see, there are angels standing around and, you know, a big voice is coming from heaven and the heaven opens and it's God speaking. Now, you see what really happened is he had a hallucination. He told people about it. And then gradually, you see, the story became bigger and bigger as stories go. And so he felt himself to be special. Now, perhaps... You see, atheists in the West have been saying this. Perhaps this was a way of, you know, getting even with a particular trauma in his life, namely that he had been fathered by someone unknown or known, but at any rate who wasn't there to take the social role of his father. Uh, According to the Jews, he was fathered by a Roman soldier. And uh, so, and they they have a very low opinion of Mary. You see, they think Mary was a very ordinary woman, a hairdresser. They call her Mary the hairdresser. And so, you see, at some time, you know, uh, some some important man had a little fling on the side. And you see, maybe he promised her that he would, you know, leave his wife and marry her and so on, the usual thing. And then, you know, he left her with a child and was never heard from again. And so Jesus grew up without a father. And he was taunted by other children in the playground. You see that he had no father while they had. And so to uh, come to peace with that, he invented a different kind of father, namely the father in heaven. So that's that's possible. um, Again... You know, the data are a bit conflicting, are uh, are not complete, so that is a very good possibility, but not more than that. There is a second event where Jesus is on Mount Tabor uh, with his disciples, and he sees the uh, Old Testament characters of Elijah and Moses. Now, again, you see, this is a very subjective thing. He sees them, but his disciples who are with him don't. And then they get told, you know, that, oh, yeah, but Moses and Elijah are here. And then they want to, you know, also get tents and, and, you know, treat them as real human beings and so on. And then they disappear. So, you know, a vision ends. Uh, So, humanly speaking, nothing special happens. I mean, there is this person who has hallucinations. You know, it happens. Some people induce them artificially with drugs. And some people have them naturally. You see, in uh, mental hospitals, there are quite a few people who think they are God or the son of God or someone special, think they are Napoleon. Um, So, well, you know, ten a penny. You know, it's very, very common. But, of course, if you live in a village and... You see someone special only very rarely. You know, you might think, oh, well, this is the Son of God. This is someone special. You know, people's understanding of spirituality was very limited. And so anybody who had charisma, who could sell himself, you know, could easily come to fill this role of a guru. 
and people who have hallucinations are particularly endowed for this. You see, if they believe of themselves that they are special, you know, they have an aura, you see, they, there is something compelling about them. And so quite a few people fall for it. Now, Jesus lived in Jewish society, and there is a certain Jewish orthodoxy, and that part of it is that there are no human beings that are divine. You see, quite in contrast with Hinduism, where the borderline between the human and the divine is very blurred. You see, in Judaism it is very sharp. There is God up there, and then there is everyone else. And so it is deemed blasphemy to associate a creature with the Creator. Now, if Jesus believed himself to be special, to be the Son of God, you know, that, that would be unremarkable in pagan society. Like you see in Greek mythology, you have quite a few stories of human beings who have been fathered by Zeus or by some other god. So there too, you see, the line is blurred between the human and the divine. But in Judaism, you see, this was blasphemy. And so when they heard that this Jesus was thinking, you know, that he was the son of God, then they might have intervened. And you see, this is what happened during Jesus' trial in Jerusalem, just a few days before his death. Um, when According to the gospel, Jesus himself says of himself that he is the Son of God. Well, that is to say, strictly speaking, he doesn't say it. The judges ask him, you know, do you think you are the Son of God? And then he says, well, you said it. So it's clearly what he himself believed. And so then he uh, is sentenced and then handed over to the Romans because the Jews themselves were not supposed to execute death sentences. And then he is killed in the Roman fashion of crucifixion. And then the story goes that he is resurrected. Now, if you analyze in detail the story of the crucifixion, as very many theologians have done, uh, you might find certain things. For example, indications that the Romans didn't really kill him. And so he wasn't really dead. And therefore, after a few days, you know, he was, you know, his wounds got cured and you know, he was in sufficient shape to get up and, and go among human beings again. Um, and so this is what Muslims, for example, believe, that, you know, Jesus did not rise from the dead, that he wasn't really dead in the first place. So that's a possibility. Uh, another possibility is, of course, that, well, people just remembered him. His presence was still very strong, even though he was dead, and that, you see, that was understood, you know, during the telling and retelling as a testimony that Jesus was still alive. At any rate, uh, there is nothing very deep about it, you know. We might as well forget about the resurrection. I mean, there are very many fantastic stories throughout human history in, in all countries. So that's not very special, were it not for the literary embellishment the work by St. Paul especially, who made it into a sort of credible faith. You know, he was a very powerful writer. 
he, um, you know, there are many phrases uh, that he wrote and that have stayed on in the English language. And so he strongly influenced people and then you see gradually people started falling for it. Though it took some time because you see these uh, in the Roman Empire there was this Greek philosophy and so uh, people were, you know, educated people were skeptical of religious beliefs. They had an explanation, a rational explanation for it. And so when they heard about this Christian belief, they were not impressed at all. They thought it was rustic and backward and not dangerous, you know, it was okay for backward people, but, you know, if you're educated, you don't fall for this. But, you know, as Christianity became more embellished with a certain philosophical element, more and more educated people started falling for it. And then you see the the picture is reversed because they started, you know, creating a sort of Christian philosophy and um, started making it into something, well, I don't think credible, but at any rate, it could convince enough people. And so Christianity became a force, and at one point, due to political circumstances, the Emperor Constantine thought it was a very good way of unifying his empire, of unifying the people around a common religion. So that's how Christianity really came about. Um, the case of Jesus is, of course, a special case of a more general phenomenon, namely prophecy. You see, uh, Jesus was considered by many in his own time as a prophet. Like, you see, there is this uh, adulterous woman who speaks with Jesus, and so he tells her, you know, you, you have had five men. You know, there's not just your husband and then this man that you've been adulterous with, you know, five men. Now, we don't know if it's really five, but at any rate, she was impressed. She said, I can see you are a prophet. So a prophet was deemed to be a person with certain, what Hindus call siddhis, with certain special paranormal powers, who, you know, had the power of telepathy, of clairvoyance. So maybe, you see, Jesus was lucky on that day, or, you know, just like happens very often um, with astrologers. They say something that is, you know, partly true, and then the client himself fills in the blanks, you know, and makes the prediction far better than it really was. Um, but nevertheless, as a prophet, even, even as a prophet, Jesus was something of a failure. You see, Jesus predicted that he would come again, you know, that the angels would come and the, the, the final judgment and so on, the end of the world. It would come within the lifetime of his audience. Now, the lifetime of his audience would not have stretched beyond the first century. So, his whole, whole audience died and nothing happened. And you see, whenever some, some illuminated preacher announces the end of the world, well, it still doesn't happen. You know, on 21st December 2012, the world was supposed to end <laughs> and it didn't happen. <laughs> so that's a disappointment. Now, in the case of Jesus, it's an even worse disappointment. 
You see, I mean, if Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door and say, you know, the world is going to end tomorrow, well, they are at least predicting something about someone else. You see, the second coming of Jesus is tomorrow. It's not, I'm going to do something tomorrow. No, tomorrow Jesus is coming. So if they are wrong, well, that's still understandable. But Jesus made a prediction about himself. This wasn't really a prediction. All he had to do was to open his agenda and see, you know, what is happening tomorrow, you know? What do I have to do then? And so, oh yeah, that, that, that's when I'm the second coming, you know? That's when I'm coming back. And even then he got it wrong. So that's, um, no, I wouldn't believe that. So you see, Jesus, if, if you tell it selectively, you know, it's a nice story. In fact, that's, that's what was being done in the Catholic Church for long. You know, most people couldn't read. And so they didn't read the Bible. They were not supposed to. You know, what they got was certain stories selected from the Bible, and they were read out in church by the priests who would read. And all the um, not-so-palatable things, well, they didn't even know about it. And so the nice stories, you know, they were, they were put in painting, you know, paintings on the wall of churches or in the, in the windows. And so that's what people got to know about Jesus, and not more. Uh, a famous French priest, Abbé Pierre, recently died. He um, has explained that he himself, as a student for the priesthood, uh, only discovered the stories about the conquest of Canaan, of the Holy Land, by the Israelites, when he was already 25 or so. And that's a very important episode in the Old Testament, where the Israelites are ordered by God to commit genocide on the pagans in the Holy Land. I mean genocide, you kill everyone, men, woman, child, even animals. They were expected not to leave any being alive. And at some point, um, King Saul of the Israelites disobeys. You see, he does not kill everyone. He lets them live. And God is angry because, you know, he was supposed to commit genocide. So he is dismissed from, the, uh, from kingship. He's replaced by somebody who is more in the favor of God. Um, now, you see, that's a gruesome story. Fortunately, it's, it's only an episode in history. Jews believe it's historical. You know, that's disputed whether this thing can be historical. But okay, let's assume it's a history. Many Muslims will say, oh, see, you see, it's not only the Quran that is, uh, you know, that has its gruesome elements. You know, other holy books also have them. Yeah, true, but they are only history. They are something that happened. You're not expected to make that happen again. You see, when you hear the story about Krishna having many wives, Krishna being a womanizer, well, you're not expected to repeat that. <laughs> That's not the moral of the story. Um, but so at any rate, you know, many of these gruesome episodes or these um, episodes, you know, that, that don't fit, you know, that a rational person would really revolt against, they were not being told. You see, most Christians in history didn't know them. Then, you know, when Protestantism came, 
in the 16th century, then people started reading the Bible. And then their reaction was often not to be, you know, revulsed to, um, to, to realize, you know, what ugly things am I being taught here. No, on the contrary, they started taking it serious. And then uh, they started putting it into practice to some extent. And so, um, you see, some of the things that happened during colonization, both on the Catholic and on the Protestant side, were partly motivated by this uh, biblical attitude that the pagans, that is to say you people, um, you know, don't really count, don't really have the same rights, don't really have the same dignity. So, um, of course, that element of Christian history is very much there, and I'm perfectly aware that people in ex-colonized countries uh, find it very important. Uh, but I would say that that is not the ultimate reason to oppose Christianization. You see, the Christians themselves don't have any problem with it. You know, they admit, you know, yes, we did this. You know, we, we killed many Brahmins and so on. But, you know, that's in the past. Uh, Christians are not expected to kill people like that. And, you know, it's because even Christians, even baptized Christians are sinners that all this happened. So they say, well, you know, that was part of the problem. Now we want to be part of the solution. So the message remains the same. You have to become Christians, you know, even though the methods are different. And so Christians have no problem admitting that uh, they committed atrocities in the past. So if you, if you um, harass them with saying, oh, you know, you did this and, you know, the Goa Inquisition and, you know, all the terrible things Christians did in the past, well, that's fine, but that doesn't affect the Christians. You know, I mean, the missionaries know all this and still they keep on trying to convert you. Um, so, you know, ultimately, what you should concentrate on more is the fact that Christianity is not true. And, you know, people can believe all they want. So, you know, if people want to believe in Jesus, well, you know, it's not the Hindu way to, to bother them. Uh, except, you know, it's the Hindu way to defend yourself when Christians start bothering you. But, you know... The fact itself of people practicing this religion, well, it's okay, you know. Um, but it's, there is no reason at all to convert to it if you have something else. You know, there is no reason to go to Christianity. And so there it is uh, important to realize that Christianity is untrue. Why? You see, if you start propagating geocentrism, the belief that the sun turns around the earth and not the other way around. Well, you see, once you know the mechanics of the heavens, once you know that the earth circles around the sun, any amount of propaganda is going to leave you cold. And so similarly, if you know what the true story is of how Christianity came about, the, the mythological element the mass psychological element in it, you know, the literary element. You know, the fact that it's not at all such a story of God, you know, descending on earth. Well, then you know. And any amount of propaganda, 
any amount of sermonizing is just not going to affect you. So to that extent, you know, I mean, of course, there are more important things in a Hindu life than to learn about what other religions have to say. But at any rate, since Christianity is so aggressive in India, is so very uh, obtrusive, so very present, it is, you know, important to at least inform yourselves enough about the, well, fundamental unreliability of Christianity. Thank you.